we continue to walk through the Gospel of Mark, or maybe it's almost like running through the Gospel of Mark, because as we know, Mark has this destination in, in mind and moves pretty rapidly toward that. And today's scripture is really no different. From Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been written Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found the colt tied near the door, outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. People spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. May God grant us understanding of these words this day. So today is Palm Sunday, and we have an abundance of palms. Today is the day that we celebrate Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a young donkey. This is the day described by Christians for generations as the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And on the one hand, I love the joyous overtones of this day. The palm branches waving, the lively music, all glory, laud, and honor. As Brenda played it so beautifully this morning, I can almost see the crowds. If I close my eyes, I can almost hear them. There's excitement in this day. And there's excitement, there was excitement then when Jesus rode in. But I have to tell you, at the same time, I'm feeling that excitement. I'm reminded that the rest of the story is about to unfold as we enter into this week. The trouble with Palm Sunday is that it leads into the rest of the week. We experience Jesus' betrayal, the Garden of Gethsemane, the arrest, the flogging, the cross-carrying, and eventually, Jesus' death. We have a long way to go before we get to Easter. We know that it is coming. And we know that to get there, we have to go through those other things. 
And yet today, we have this story. We have this story of joy and excitement and hosannas. We have this story today. This story is in all four Gospels. Each has a different take on what they present about the story. Some are similar and some are different. Today, though, we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark. But before we do that, I'll say that they all mention a donkey or a colt. The, the Greek word is kind of do, young donkey is what it is. So it's a, a colt. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke agree that the donkey was borrowed. John simply states that Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Have you ever noticed that? Jesus sent two disciples ahead of him on the way to Jerusalem. When they got to a small village of Bethpage, he said, go into, go into the village up there and you will find a colt of a donkey. Untie it and bring it to me. And if anybody asks, where are you going with my animal? Simply say the Lord needs it and bring it right back. Here's an interesting side note about that. Whole thing, the place and the whole story. When Jesus picks the Mount of Olives to stop and request for his disciples to go get the donkey, for him to make an entrance upon, he is setting the stage for kind of a reenactment of something that we'll find in Zechariah's prophecy. Um, the Mount of Olives is the place that Zechariah mentions. And Zechariah is imagining that um, the Lord is standing at that place on Judgment Day, the Mount of Olives. The, the whole thing is all part of this prophecy. So I'm kind of have that in the back of my mind as I'm looking at this scripture. You know, why was that important and, and how does this all kind of work together? As I began to move through this familiar story, um, there's one thing that kind of caught my attention. And it was the idea of the act of borrowing. Borrowing a cult. And I know we, we talk about a lot of things on Palm Sunday. You know, the... The, the pomp and circumstances and all those things. But as I'm reading this story this time, that just caught my eye, this act of borrowing. It's exciting, yes. But here's this idea of borrowing in the midst of all that. And it makes me sit back and say, hmm, See, there's all this, there's the king is coming, the, the Messiah is here, and there's all that stuff. But Jesus comes on a borrowed donkey, or a found one, if you believe the Gospel of John, a donkey. What kind of king comes into a place on a donkey? Now, see, if this was a government official, that person would come on a war horse, and they wouldn't come in this entrance, they would come in another entrance, and they would come with chariots and, and noise and all of those things. But this one comes on a donkey, a borrowed one at that. What kind of king is that? 
as I kind of opened my think, thinking about this idea of it being borrowed, I want, would like you to kind of con consider this. Consider that Jesus was born in a borrowed place, laid in a borrowed manger. As he traveled, he had no place of his own to spend the night. He rode into the city on a borrowed donkey. He ate his final meal in a borrowed room. He was crucified on a borrowed cross, wearing a borrowed crown that some jokers put on his head. And when he died, he was someone placed his body in a borrowed tomb. I'm sensing a theme here. I'm sensing something, maybe a message, maybe something that we can hang on to, grasp. So let's kind of jump more into this story, but kind of keep that in the back of your mind, that idea of the borrowed donkey and the borrowed things. Keep that in the back of your mind. As we read and study this story, we puzzle at some of the simple instructions for his chosen disciples to go to this predetermined place and take another person's property um, with a simple explanation that says the Lord needs us. What would happen if we went to someone's house today and we took something, and we said, when we're caught, so-and-so needs it, what would happen? Hmm. But see, in Jesus's time, there was a little twist to this. Um, because the thing to remember is that any government official, any king, any, anyone who had authority could go to anyone's place and take their animal. They just had to say that they would return it. They could take the horse, they could take the cow, they could take the sheep, the lamb. They could take any of that thing and it was allowed in that culture as long as they returned it. So when Jesus' disciples went to that place and said, the Lord needs it, the person just let it go because that was normal. And that, to me, is hard to wrap my mind around. That someone could just come and say, I need it, bye. They did have to return it. So it wasn't so much that Jesus went and borrowed the donkey. And it wasn't so much that they let him say. I think that the, the highlight here is that they recognized who Jesus was. They recognize Jesus' authority to come get that donkey. Isn't that interesting? If a person, an authority person, came and wanted your donkey, they could take your donkey, and they saw Jesus as a person of authority. His reputation would have gone there ahead of him. They had heard of Jesus. They knew that those disciples were getting that for Jesus. Isn't that amazing? It's not as, um, as simple as those words. The Lord needs it. There's a lot more packed into that. So Jesus did kind of this enactment, the Mount of Olives, the going into Jerusalem on a donkey, and all of that. Um, and the people responded in a particular way. 
there was kind of three ways that they gave praise. There were three elements of their praise. Um, but I want to start kind of talking about the second element first. The phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, comes right out of Psalm 118, verse 26. The end of the psalm talks about the blessedness of a pilgrim coming to Jerusalem and to the temple. But then in Jesus' case, this was preceded by shouts of Hosanna, the first element of their praise. Hosanna, blessed is he. And that would have come right out of Psalm 18 again, that, um, where it says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. Save us, in Hebrew, as Hosanna. So they were saying, save us. So Hosanna means save us. And the crowds would have been used to that because they would have recited Psalm 118 every year at the Feast of the Tabernacles. That would have been something that was part of that. In fact, in, this, in the Feast of the Tabernacles, for six days they would have recited it once, or the whole group, the whole assembly. And then on the seventh day, they would quote the verse and guess what they would wave? Palm branches. So it sounds familiar. So Jesus was kind of enacting a lot of things right there. These people that he was, that were following him before and behind would have known what the symbolism was of that day. The final element of praise is blessed is the coming of our kingdom, David. And that was the expectation that the Messiah would come out of the house of David. That was that expectation and that that person would save Israel. So what we see here is a crowd not simply welcoming another pilgrim to Jerusalem, even a well-known pilgrim. They were not simply welcoming a foreign dignitary or an esteemed bigwig from up north. They appear to be welcoming the Messiah. They are welcoming a king from David's line. They are welcoming Jesus to the city of his ancestor, the capital of Israel. There's a lot more to this story than just a simple riding in on a donkey. The, these people were honoring Jesus because they believed that Jesus as the Messiah would begin the work of restoration for their kingdom as well. They believed the Messiah would come and save them from the Roman rule they believed that Jesus would save them from paying exorbitant Roman taxes. They believed that the Messiah, Jesus, would come and restore their kind of political pride. This was the moment, the belief in this. Can you imagine living under a foreign power, under the authority of those you considered unclean, those who worshipped idols. Can you imagine what that might have been like? And can you see why these people were going wild? This, the 
solution to their biggest problem was riding into town, never mind that Jesus was riding into town on a colt, on a donkey. The way in which they honored Jesus was perfectly appropriate. That's what you did. You said Hosanna. You waved palm branches. You, you did all those things. There's nothing wrong with giving Jesus that praise. However, what they expected to come out of it was not what Jesus was bringing. We've talked a lot about how Jesus taught about the first being last and the last being first and the, the, the servant of all giving his life for the ransom of all. We've, we've done that in recent weeks and yet these people are expecting this conqueror not knowing that this, the saving that they need was very different. The people were right in identifying Jesus as a Messiah. Jesus himself talked about that. They were wrong, however, about what that meant. The way in which they honored Jesus was appropriate. But I want to remind you that five days later, those hosannas turned into something very different. Those hosannas turned into crucify him. That is one of the problems I have with Palm Sunday. I would love to wrap my mind around the wise. I would love to wrap my mind around how they can love on Sunday and crucify later in the week. Today, though, we're remembering how Jesus gave his life for the world. We remember how Jesus gave Jesus' self to the world. On this festive day, he rode into town on a borrowed donkey into the center, the center of the city. He was a man of few possessions, this whole idea of borrowing everything and giving everything. This is the one who wants to possess our hearts. This is the one who wants us to open up. As we look at this, this processional, people were in front and people were behind. They were shouting their hosannas they were throwing down palms and cloaks for him to ride on. They were rolling out the red carpet. Excitement and anticipation was the order of the day. And then this happens. You see, according to Mark's gospel, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. He enters the temple. Temple. He looks around at everything. And then what happens? He leaves. He does nothing. He says nothing. He just leaves. He goes to Bethany. 
It is a strange and anticlimactic ending to this triumphal entry. It sounds like Jesus is retreating, getting out of town. What is that all about? Did Jesus have somewhere else he needed to be? As I look at this anticlimactic ending, this thing that doesn't quite make sense, I begin to ask the question, what is the significance here? In Matthew, as we look at the other Gospels, in Matthew, the whole city is in turmoil when Jesus enters. He goes to the temple. He drives out those who are buying and selling. He overturns tables and chairs. In Luke, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem and then enters the temple where he drives out those who are buying and selling. In John's account, Jesus does not even go to the temple he cleansed it at the beginning of the gospel. Instead, he enters the city and begins teaching. Mark is the only gospel who does this, who says it this way. He says that Jesus entered the temple, looked around, and left. And the only explanation we're given is that as it was already late. Late for what? What might Jesus be late for? Have you ever considered this? Maybe Jesus was late getting the colt back to its owner. Here's why I say that. In the Gospel of Mark, which is the only one that does this, Jesus promised to return the colt to its owner. They all agree that the colt was either borrowed or from its owner or found, but Mark is the only one that talks about it being returned. Jesus sent out those two disciples to borrow the colt and told them when asked what they were to say. And it said, the Lord need, needs it, and it will be sent back here immediately. That is in Mark 11 at 3. And that is what they did. So if that, what if that's why Jesus left the temple? Maybe he left so he could keep his promise and follow through on what he said he would do. Maybe this is about Jesus being true to himself and keeping his word. What if it's about Jesus staying centered within himself despite what the week held for him? What if returning the cult is a metaphor for us as we enter into and talk about what's ahead of us in Holy Week. Bear with me just a little bit, if you would. I'm going to ask this question. What might returning the cult mean for us throughout this week? It's an image or metaphor to ponder, and it raises a couple of questions for me. What do I need to return to? No, what do I need to return this week? 
And what do I need to release or let go of? We all have stuff. If you don't have stuff, I'd like to talk with you and, and find out how you do it. But we all have stuff that we carry or have carried around with us for far too long. It's no longer able to take us where we anywhere or give us a sense of life. It's baggage that we carry. I see some heads nodding. And it continues to weigh us down. Sometimes it corrupts our hearts. It keeps us from being the person that we are called to be, the person that, that we can be that has energy and power and light. It's things that we carry. It might be, might be like me. A lot of things from my childhood I carry on my back. I do. It might be an idea that you have to be perfect. It might be that you have to be able to produce in order to be important. It might be all of those things. And we all know that those kind of expectations weigh us down. So what do you need to let go of to release or return this week? Is it a grudge? Is it a resentment, anger, fear? Disappointment, regret, guilt, envy, are those the things you need to let go of? Maybe you need to return being in control, having to be right, a need for approval, a need to be perfect. I don't know what it is for you, but I'm convinced that we all have our stuff. Maybe Holy Week is the time to return and release it all to God, trusting that God can do something with his stuff when we have never been able to. And what if returning and releasing this stuff is about returning to our very selves, becoming who we are? What if it's about returning to our centaur, to our place, our imago Dei? What if it's out about reclaiming that place? That means that we could move forward, not from an old place, but from a newly recovered center place. That is what Jesus did. He took that cult, he gave it back. He returned it. He stayed true to himself through the week. As you read the stories, as we walk through the passion, Jesus was who Jesus was, truly Jesus. What if returning and reclaiming that beautiful self that is us, that goodness that God had created and has loved from the very beginning. What if that's the movement of this week? Returning, releasing, letting go. Returning, reclaiming parts of ourselves. What if this week we just simply return to who we are? 
Another question, what do you need to return to? Is it joy? Do you need to return to hope? Do you need to return to beauty? To truth, to honesty? What if we came back to justice? To mercy, to forgiveness? What if we reclaim the dignity and holiness of each human life? What if we recenter ourselves in peace and courage? What if we return to love of neighbor, self, and enemy? Coming back to ourselves would be like a new life, wouldn't it? So we begin this week, this holy, holy week, by returning the cults. Contemplating the question, what do you need to return and to what do you need to return? Two questions. To answer them, we must look around at everything. That is what Jesus did. It's not so much looking around at everything outside of us, but also looking around at everything within us. Look at what there is. Look at what is missing. Look at what you need, what you feel, what you truly are. And look at who you want to be. And then, my friends, return that colt. Take that image of returning the colt as you leave here this week. Take it wherever you go. Bring it to whatever you do. Hold it as you pray this week. Let it be present as you live your life, as you engage people in relationships, whether in your family, at work, at school, at the grocery store, out there, in there, you get the picture, wherever you are. Take that image with you. Returning the cult is how Holy Week begins. Returning to God and ourselves is the promise of how this week will end. Look around at everything and then return. Return the cult. God, show us the way. Amen.